All right, well, this morning uh, we are continuing. We're doing something called Summer Bible Jam. And if you guys are playing along with us, you're already enjoying taking some time out of this season in your summer to make more room for just reading the Bible and for talking with some other people about what you're reading. So it's just normal for Christians to encounter something that they saw in God's word that was worth talking to somebody else about and the impact that it had. And so what we're doing this summer is we're actually studying through different characters in the Bible, teaching us a new way, or one of many ways, that we can read the Bible and get something fresh out of it. So we've spent the last three weeks studying King David in his life. And this morning we're going to shift to a new character. Uh, We're going to look at Sarah and learn some things from her life. How many of you guys find this? I I think all of us relate to stories, right? Somebody starts telling you their story, where they're from, how they grew up, what went on, some significant issue that they had where they struggled or faced some crisis in their life. And if it's at all similar to you, You come to life over that, right? You start listening a little bit differently. Well, that's what we're getting as we stare into people like David's life. We're going to stare this morning and next week into Sarah's life. People like us who are doing life on planet Earth, and no matter how old you are, you're trying to figure out, what am I doing here? Who am I? What role am I supposed to play? Because, you know, there's little features of answering that question, who am I, that go beyond just strange philosophy and stroking our beards. We're trying to figure out when I wake up in the morning and I put myself to certain activities or I get around certain people. I sacrifice my time or I live in certain categories. Am I living in a significant category? Does my life matter? Right, you guys remember, you know, when you're younger... There's just this pressure to find that category. You know, who are you going to be and what talent do you have? What do people find unique about you? What can you do that's going to matter in the long run? Then when you get older, you revisit the way you answered that question, right? Did I pick the right thing? Did it matter? Did I do it well? Do other people think I did it well? Who am I, right? We're still asking that question. So when we look in characters' lives like Sarah, you know, they had experiences like that as well. They're trying to figure out who they are. So let me, let me, let me give some perspective here using our, our space theme this morning. I got my, my blue dot here. I don't know if you can see the little blue dot there, but the arrow underneath it is, is pretty easy for you to see. This is a picture that was taken by the Discovery Space Probe back in like 1990, I believe it was. And that, that little blue dot is Earth. Right, so I'm, I'm singing these songs this morning aware of the scale of things, right? That there is a God who would send his own son to that little blue dot in the universe to rescue people like you and me who can't even be seen on here. Right, that, that's who God is. But, but the reason why this particular image is in my head is because I, I attended a, a graduation ceremony where the speaker used this 
little blue dot as a means of encouraging the graduates to go make your mark. To go on from here, graduate, and go do great things. Unfortunately, the way that he presented it, it didn't make any sense at all. Right, here's a quote that he used from a fellow named Carl Sagan, who is not a follower of the living God. He says, look again at that dot. That's, the, that's here. That's home. That's us. On it, everyone you love, everyone you know, everyone you ever heard of, every human being who ever was lived out their lives. What does that even mean if our existence is just this vast, cold universe randomly amidst that vast, cold, dark universe is a little blue dot with little tiny grains of sand on it called people made up of organic matter whose lives in the vast scheme of things are a vapor. I thought, you know, that picture is a horrible picture for people to go be told. Go do something significant. Because all it did was just tell me how insignificant I am. (laughs) And I can go out and live the most incredible life that's going to be gone in a second. And it's so tiny that the whole universe isn't even taking notice of it. What is it that makes my life significant? I mean, we've studied King David. If there's not a personal God who created everything for a purpose and a purpose that goes on into eternity, does it really matter how David lived his life? If he just was another dude hanging out on a little tiny blue speck in the universe and he would be gone in a millisecond in comparison to all of time, does it matter whether David was this heroic character that we learned about or this adulterous murderer that we learned about? Does it really matter? See, we we gain our significance by involving the creator And his purpose in our storyline to try and have a meaningful existence apart from the creator who made us for a purpose is an exercise in futility. So today we're going to stare into somebody named Sarah's life. Did, Did Sarah live a life that was significant? Did she leave a mark? Did she graduate and go on and do anything that matters? Well, interesting, you know, I won't take a poll of how many of y'all are named Sarah or how many of y'all know somebody named Sarah or related to somebody named Sarah. She must have done something, right? Because we're naming people after her in the long run. So there is some kind of significance. But if you want to learn about Sarah, of course, if we're going to the Bible to learn anything, you, you, you need to realize that there's no character story in here that stands by itself and is meant for you to simply learn about an individual. Everything that's in this book points to the God who is behind it. But God chooses to reveal himself through people and through their life and their story. And so, if we want to learn about Sarah, you go ahead and turn with me to Genesis. First place that we would find Sarah being mentioned is going to be in Genesis. Remember, 
one of the things that we do during the summer Bible jam is just learn a little bit more about how do we read our Bibles? How do we get something out of these books as we read them? Well, Genesis is a book with a particular style to it. And you want to read it with an awareness of that. It's an historical narrative. That's the style of this book. So when it goes to speak to you, it's, it's a narrated story about history. And these are the characters that were part of the drama of God during that history. Now, I'm going to also pull today from way far away from this book and way far away in time from epistles in the New Testament. Very different books. They've got history in them, but they're not so much trying to be a narration of history as much as they're trying to teach you particular things so that your belief is informed by God. But interesting, they're going to reach back into Sarah's life and grab her and pull her into teaching points. So when we study characters, what I'm going to illustrate for us today is here's how the Bible handles these people because we're trying to learn something from their lives and the Bible's helping us to do that. So let's get introduced to this person named Sarah from Genesis chapter 11. We're going to start in verse 27. I'll just read a little bit of her, the beginning of her story. It says, now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai. And eventually her name will become Sarah, what we are more familiar with. And the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran and the father of Milcah and Iscah. Now, Sarai was barren. She had no children. Fast forward to chapter 12. Now, the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. What an enormous assignment that God is injecting into this couple's lives. They're going to bless the whole world. So Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Sarah would have been about 65 years old at this moment. And Abram took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. At the time of the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on still going toward the Negev. Now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai's wife, 
I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male uh, donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abraham's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this you've done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? So that I took her for my wife. Now then, here's your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. Let's pray for a moment. Lord, thank you for words preserved by you for us who will read them today. But Lord, they're just words apart from the power of your Holy Spirit to open our hearts and give us eyes to see what is here that matters to our souls. So Lord, we ask you to do that. We give you this time. We give you our hearts and minds. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, real quickly then. Who, who is this Sarai? Well, she is a woman born in a land of Ur of the Chaldeans. If you wanted to find that on the map today, it would be in the place where Iraq is located. So she'd be an Iraqi in terms of kind of where she grew up. Uh, she actually is related to Abram. She is a half-sister to Abram. And so that he's kind of lying but not lying completely in, in what he said. Isn't that how most of us lie anyway? Kind of enough truth in this for this not to be completely a lie. I could defend it if I had to. Um, Her background, since she's related to Abram, Abram's family, Judges reveals to us, they were idol worshipers. They worshiped a moon god uh, in that land of Babylon there. And so she would have come from that background as well. And then something's going to be said about her that is going to characterize. It's going to fill the landscape of her life. She was Abram's wife. Now I want to make a deal out of that this morning and I want us to draw our attention to it because I think it's, it's significant, right? So I put in your outline there, the great defining feature of Sarah's life is going to be her relationship with Abraham and God's purpose through his life. Now, let me be really careful here. She doesn't gain value as a human being. She doesn't arrive at a place of dignity. Although all those kinds of things for any individual get created because we are made in the image of God. So she is an image bearer of God. So the dignity of who she is is not because she got around the right people. The fact that her life means something is not because she knew somebody who knew somebody. She has dignity and we respect the life that is lived by every individual because they're in the image of God. But there's a, there's a reality here. You and I know Sarah because of Abraham. 
there are things about his life and what God was doing through him that, so to speak, put Sarah on our map. And her life is going to take on characteristics and get a certain script because of what God is doing through Abraham that God has joined Sarah to as a wife. Now, why do I highlight that? Uh, Quite honestly, I'm not sure I would have preached a message like this 30, 40 years ago. Certainly not 100 years ago. But you and I live in a culture of hyper-individualism in a way that your grandparents didn't and people who came before us didn't. The feature events of what makes life feel like it's good, makes it feel rewarding, makes it feel meaningful, have become more and more and more and more personal. What is, what's in this for me? I've got a script that I'm trying to live out. I've got dreams that I've always wanted. I've got ambitions. There are things about me. What about me? And so the thought, I titled this message, and if you're not careful, you might even be offended by the title. Sarah, Abraham's wife. That's not popular today for me to do that. <laughs> because the last thing in the world is you want to take a woman and stick her in the shadow of a man. That's not politically okay to do. I know I just did it. But I, I want us to realize something that all of us live in shadows. Because God's purpose is bigger than you. And so whether you're a man or a woman, a young person, an older person, a wealthy person, a poor person, no matter who you are. God has sovereignly joined your life to others. And you know what? You might not be the headline maker in your existence. You might be joined to somebody who is. And that's God's prerogative in this vast universe to do with it as he chooses. So my question is going to be for us. Are you going to be okay if your life story is divinely connected to others and not just you? And I can't race past this point because remember we started this year with a, a series we called Enchanted. And one of the features of the enchanted world that we live in and its power to enchant us is that principle of personal human flourishing. This concept through which it stands as a gatekeeper of our lives and it looks out over everything about life and it says, what does that do for me? Does that make me flourish? Does that help fulfill my dreams? Does that reward me in a way that makes sense to me and that matters to me? And that is in us. This is the lead poisoning of the culture that you and I live in. So I don't think there's a person in this room, and I respect lots of people in this room, who is escaping today. Something rising up in you at moments of, as you do life that's kind of saying, you know, I don't... I don't know if this is for me. I don't know. I don't like the way this makes me feel. This, this doesn't feel like something I want to pursue. Well, interesting. Sarah's life is going to take on dimensions from outside of the personal script that maybe she would have written for herself. And that's going to be true for us too. So a few quick points. One, Sarah's story finds its significance by the part it plays in another story. And in that sense, I don't mean Abraham's story. I mean God's redemptive story. 
Right, remember the, the great storyline, we learned this a couple of summers ago in doing Summer Bible Jam, the great storyline that sits above every individual's storyline is the story of the God who created everything and when sin came in and wrecked what God had created, God went to work redeeming and reconciling it to himself. That is the great storyline of the scriptures. So why does God tell us these stories about Abraham and Sarah? Why, why are these guys in the Bible? Just because they were interesting, cool characters and God needed a short story for a literature class one day? Or is God telling the story of how it is that he reconciles man to himself? And Abraham and Sarah are going to help us see that through their lives. They're going to become the canvas that God's going to paint on to help us see it. So here's the chapter, right? You and I come into God's story. It starts here. It moves through time. It's going to end one day in Revelation. Along the way, there's these chapters of God's activity. And you and I show up in a particular chapter, but Sarah shows up in a particular chapter. She shows up when God is clarifying what the Bible is going to reveal as the, quote, the covenant of faith. That we come to God into a relationship with him simply in faith. Not in personal effort. Not in our own works. Not in our own goodness. Not in something we manufacture. God is not going to be in a, a position where he is responding to the boatload of cash that we're bringing to him one day. Where we say, hey God, I can, I can finally buy you off. I finally lived a life good enough for you to get on my side and for you to call me your own and you to like me. All right, that day never exists in the Bible. Because you can never acquire enough cash. As a matter of fact, you could never acquire any cash to bring that to God. But God establishes righteousness in our lives in a different way. And God was doing that back with Abraham and Sarah. Right, so you and I are familiar with Bible verses. We get to the New Testament. One of the verse, verses I think I memorized as a Christian is Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 and 9. Right, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And, and, and that's not of yourself. It's the gift of God lest any man should boast. Alright, so the, here we are. Right, We're in the New Testament chapter. And we're very tempted to think that's a, that's a New Testament idea. See that? That shows up in the New Testament. But no, it actually shows up with Abraham. Right? Remember, I think I put this in the outline. Little Galatians chapter 3. These are little snippets, but in your reading assignments, you get to explore all this stuff further. Galatians says, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Right? Even to this day. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. What was God doing in Abraham's life in chapter 12 when he shows up and said, hey you, moon worshiper, I'm the real God. Let me show you something about me. And God brings him into something that just calls upon Abraham to go, okay, I believe you. And in faith, he's going to receive righteousness from God. Well, what is that? Well, that's the gospel. And the Bible is saying that God was preaching the gospel to Abraham. Now, how many of you thought the gospel didn't show up until the New Testament? Right, that's just wrong. God was preaching this gospel in the Old Testament as well. Look in Romans chapter 1 real quick. Because all the way back to Abraham, a man who didn't deserve to be 
to belong to God, to be in covenant with God. He and his wife weren't living lives that should have made everything right between them and God. They just simply weren't. But yet the grace of God is going to show up and by faith they're going to receive that grace and then they're going to be righteous with God. They're going to be right with God. And what makes Abram right is the same thing that makes you and I right. Receiving what God has said and done on our behalf through faith. Right? So when you get to Romans, right again, I want to make obvious what I'm doing here, right? I am picking up an Old Testament story that you might tell your children, you might learn in Sunday school, this narrative thing, and we learn characters. But you understand, when the Bible goes to pick those stories up, it's going to scatter doctrine all over them. It's going to say, this story exists for you to see certain things that your soul needs to put its faith in. So that's where epistles come along and teach us. So, so follow this presentation in Romans, which is very much about Abraham. Romans 1 verse 16. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it... The righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it's written, the righteous shall live by faith. So listen, you and I today are running the risk of trying to figure out how to get right with God. Right? That's, righteousness has to do with that. How to get right with God. And if I, if I were to ask you without opening any of this up to you, and I caught you on the way in the front door, and I said, hey, hey, hey. What, what you doing these days to be right with God? What's going on with you being right with God? How, how's that going? What's it looking like? Uh, what would you have said? Well, you know what I might have said might have had a whole lot to do with me. What I've been doing. How I've been living. Am I practicing the right things? Staying away from enough of the wrong things, etc. And that would have been me revealing to you my understanding of righteousness. But the gospel turns around and says, no, no, no. In the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. Right? So if I keep reading here, right? I'm going to jetten us through Romans here. Look at Romans chapter 3 verse 21. This is going to go back to Abraham in just a second. It says this. Now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. Right? By the way, you remember Abraham is long before the law is given. Right? You remember that time frame wise? So the righteousness of God, the gospel's righteousness of God was manifest apart from the law and the prophets that came to describe the law after that. This is beforehand. Verse 22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. That's exactly what Abraham did. He simply received what God had done on his behalf by faith. All right, now fast forward. Here's where Abraham comes back into Romans, verse 1 of chapter 4. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, 
right? By the good life that he lived, by the fact that he hid from God, that he was a moon worshiper, and he really was an awesome person in all other parts of his life. Not true, right? If Abraham was justified by works, he's got something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. He's getting paid for what he did. To the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. So if you and I met this man named Abram, and his wife Sarah, and we wanted to know, did these, are these guys right with God? Are they righteous people? We would know because they had received what God had said and done on their behalf by faith. That's what made them righteous. Now, Sarah is going to show up in God's moment where that's what's being revealed through their lives. And they're going to walk by faith in all kinds of ways of trusting God. So this canvas, if you will, that God says, let, let, me, let me paint the gospel on human beings. I think I'll paint it on Abram and Sarah. So people can see, I came to them by grace. I operated in their life by grace. By my freedom to choose as the God of the universe, all they did was just receive by faith who I was and what I've done. Right, that's the gospel being painted on these individuals' lives. So Sarah gets chosen by God to walk in the inaugural moments of that revelation. That's God's purpose, right? So point number two. Sarah's story has divine boundaries and details. Sarah is not where she's at through fate, luck, chance, self-determination. How does she show up in this moment? By the sovereign purpose of God for her life. This is where she shows up. Right, you guys remember the story later in the, in the right, here, here is the inaugurating of this people of God. I mean, you can go all the way back to, to the garden and say that's true as well. But in a special way, Abram and his descendants are chosen from amongst all the world. If I fast forward a little bit to some time of captivity, there's going to be a moment where a hostile king is going to want to destroy and, and stamp out from the face of the earth the people of God. And this moment comes to Queen Esther and she is told... You're going to need to go to the king and beseech that he not kill all the Jews. Esther, who knows, but for such a time as this, have you come to the kingdom? Esther, why do you have the address that you have? Why are you in the location that you're in? Why do you have access to the people that you have? Why did you show up on the world stage as you did? For God's purpose among his people. So the same thing can be true of Sarah years and years and years earlier. Why does this woman, Sarah, show up? She's not, she's not an Egyptian. She's going to live her life in Egypt. She's not some medieval woman in Germany, peasant woman growing up there. She's not a Chicago suburbanite. She, she is showing up at a particular place in a particular time. This is the stage for her life. An interesting thing is there's almost nothing said about the stage of her life until she gets to be 65 years old. 
Now, I, I find that interesting. I'm not going to chase that point too much, but if you're 65 or above, how many of you kind of feel like you're kind of done with your stage? Right? It's like, you know, I'm, I'm just kind of cruise control for as far as the car is going to drive before it putters out. <laughs> now, I kind of already did the stage thing, I think, all the effort and thought about what kind of life am I supposed to be living? I'm kind of, well, how about this? God kind of really didn't get started in a big way in her life until she was 65 years old. So if you're 65 or up, you still got a stage. You just got to discover what it is. All right, in your outline there, Sarah's life is, listen, bound to and bounded by a man named Abraham. Her life is bound to and bounded by a man named Abraham. And God does this kind of stuff, right? Acts chapter 17 verse 26 says this. God made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. He did this having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. So how does anybody, from a nation to an individual to an Esther or a Sarah, how does anybody find the address that they're going to end up living at in life? And that address has a time frame to it, a geography to it, people in it. How do you find that? Well, the God who allots periods and boundaries. He's responsible for where you are. Listen, that's a very important insight, isn't it? Especially when you get to the moment where you don't like where you are. Or you think you're here by chance. Bad luck, right? Or worse than that, bad people who forced the direction of your life into a place that is just a bad place. Okay, listen, you're at the address where you are by the God who allots times and locations. You are not where you are by accident. You're not out of control. Sarah is divinely assigned to Abraham. His calling and God's purpose in his life is going to fill the landscape of her life. Because God has assigned this. Right? Listen to this in Hebrews 11. Right, so here's the book of Hebrews. New Testament book picking up the story of this person of Sarah and Abram that was told earlier. By faith, it says in chapter 11 verse 8, by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, right? He's going to leave Ur the Chaldees and go to a land that he's going to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. And so did Sarah. How many wives like that idea? Where are we going, babe? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I kind of got a vague idea. Wait, so we're, we're leaving everything that we have. And I'm sorry, and we're going where? <laughs> right? This has got to be really hard to explain. So, you know, we get a lot of news headlines from Abram, but, but this is Abram's partner in life. She's going to walk in these spaces too. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land. We're going to be foreigners. No one will know us. We'll have no significance or importance or security there. Living in tents with Isaac and Jacob. Heirs with him with the same promise. And so will Sarah. She's walking this walk of faith as well. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. Right? He went in faith 
to, to something that God described about a future promise. Now, how much Abram understood, I've got to downgrade a little bit more and say, uh, how good of a job did he do passing this on to Sarah? But she's too is looking for a city whose builder and architect is God. Which, by the way, if you read the rest of Hebrews chapter 11, they're not going to find in Canaan. They're not even going to find it in this world. And yet they were walking by faith to some location. So here's what's going to happen. This dude's going to set out to do life. The first step, second, tenth, hundredth. His difficulties are going to become her difficulties. His geography is going to become her geography. His agenda in life is going to become her agenda in life. His fears... His challenges, his struggles, they all will become part of Sarah's life as well. How do you feel about that as 21st century Americans who feel like, you know, I, I feel like I should have the right to write my own script, a script that's going to lead me to places that are more in tune with what I've always wanted to do and who I always have wanted to be and I've got a particular personality and, and I gravitate towards certain things. I, I want those things in my life and maybe that's not where Abraham's going. Maybe the kind of activity Abraham is going to be called into isn't going to feature Sarah's sweet spot of activity. And this, this doesn't sound like a good deal, does it? This almost feels like a cruel joke for her. Oh, sure. Abraham gets to be on the adventure of Abraham. Good for him. And she gets to be dragged through wherever it is that he's going. But ponder this reality, because this is true for you and I. God is going to assign people to your life. And those people are going to mess up your journey. All right, so you're going to think about getting married one day, or you already did, and you are married. That other person has this thing going on in, in their life. God is scripting something through them, for them, but for his glory ultimately. And when you join yourself to that other person, you, you have taken your agenda and your preferences and your desires and how you want life to feel and the pace that you want it to move with it, how much weight you want it to have, the balance of fun versus difficulty, right? and you've attached it to another person. Now, you've got two things, I want to say working against you, but you have two things working. You exist in the time frame of God at the address that God chose for you. So I often say, I, if I had just lived before the information age, I think my brain would be healthier, right? The information age has not been kind to me. It has made me forget everything that's possible to be forgotten. If I didn't have a device to remind me about things, I would just stare at the wall all day long. <laughs> what am I supposed to do next? I don't know. Ding! Oh, that's what I'm supposed to do next. Um, but you exist in a place and a time where God has a purpose going on already. A redemptive purpose is going on around you. The age of the church. The geographic location where you are right now. 
whether it's a feast or famine location, is all happening right here around you. And you didn't have any chase soul about that. And then you're going to marry another person and there's stuff God's doing in that person's life that is now attached to your life. It could slow you up. It could reroute you. It could change some of your plans altogether. And then you go and have children. And God adds more people with God's doing something in their life. And because of what he's doing in their life, that might come to fruition years later or in their children or grandchildren. You're yoked to another person and God's steering mechanism for you involves their life and their script too. Now listen, no one's highlighting this, but can I just tell you, there's a reason why people are getting married later than ever and having less children. I know that's a statistical fact, but this is why it's a statistical fact. Because I don't want people messing with my story. I want to live the life that I've always wanted to live. So let me put marriage off as, as long as possible. Because then I just got to worry about me and doing me and doing my story. Whatever it is that I want next. You know, you know, this generations ago would not have thought this way. You get married at 19 years old and 21 years old. Just, you know, your grandparents, right? How old were your grandparents when they got married? And now the average age is 30 for a man, 27 for a woman. And, it, and it's getting older and older. Because there's something in us that says, hey, don't, don't, don't mess with my story. If I marry you, ooh. <laughs> let's hold off on having kids. Why? Because I want to explore my story. I don't want their story interfering with my story. And, and it will, won't it? Right from the moment they come into this world, there's noise and need and financial difficulty and hours and hours of prayer. There's a whole new category for you to worry about. You thought you were a good worrier before? Let's go have you a couple of kids, man. You know, all of a sudden you got new chapters of worry. And then they pass through everything from, I mean, I worried that my kids weren't breathing when we had the first one. It's like, is she breathing? Is, and she's like a day old. Is she breathing? You know, I, I'm not worried about that anymore, but I got other stuff I'm worried about now. And who's to say, do, you know, do I want that kind of stuff interfering in my life? Um, okay, well, God really hasn't given me a choice in that. He is yoking my life to people. And he's yoking your life to people, right? So question, what if your purpose in God is more significant and important than your individual hopes and dreams? I know that's so un-American and so poorly not cultural. But what if that's the case? I don't know what Sarah grew up dreaming. She was, she was a beautiful woman. I mean, she's 65 and, and the Pharaoh's like, bring her to me. I want that one. So can you imagine what she was like at 20 and 30? So I don't know what she wanted to be when she grew up. Maybe, maybe her dream was she wanted to be on Broadway. She wanted to be a theatrical person and, you know, be a lead role. She could sing or dance or, you know, so she was a talented person and she had dreams that one day that'd be who she'd be. Or, or, or maybe in a totally opposite direction, maybe she just loved... You know, living in a small town with, with one traffic light and, and there's a Piggly Wiggly and an Ace Hardware and everybody knows each other by name and pace is slow and she lives on a little farm just outside of town with a picket fence 
And that, that's what, that was her dream. That's who she always wanted to be. And she goes and marries this dude, Abraham. And she didn't get any of that. Matter of fact, she gets quite an interesting script, right? She's going to leave Ur the Chaldees. So which means she's going to leave her family. She's going to relocate away from the people that she knows, the setting that she knows, the people that are familiar to her, that are going to be a strength to her in moments of need. She won't have that anymore. And she's going to venture out into a storyline that, that just seems very uncertain and shaky. And so, I mean, you imagine you're Abraham and you're saying, ah, I know this is God, honey, come on. I know this is God. We're, we're moving. I don't know where, but we'll know when we get there. And right, so you just pick life up and you go to do it. And you land in Canaan. And the first thing that happens is a famine breaks out. Ladies, how are you doing in this moment, Right? You're looking for confirmation that we're in the right place, that you, with your abstract idea of leaving everything we've ever known, to go to a place you don't know anything about, and, and there's a famine here, and it's a famine that's so bad that they're going to have to pick up and relocate again. Now listen, they didn't fly there on Delta Airlines. It took them a long time to get there and to settle in this land. And of course, they don't have kids, but if they did, they'd be in school. There'd be problems in relocating again. And we're going to go down to Egypt now. What's that like? Well, they got some rulers down there that like good-looking women. I mean, there's trouble in Egypt. And he's going to lie about that situation. And that's going to blow up in his face. Did you recognize, you know, guys, you're not misreading the Bible when you pick the same storyline up again and he does it again. Right? If you haven't read recently Abram's story, he's going to turn around and do that exact same thing Again, a few chapters later to another king who, again, he's, his reasoning, this is how he reasons through life. Uh, if I'm the good-looking woman's husband, I'm going to get killed and they're going to take her. It never ends good for the dude who's married to the good-looking woman. So anytime we relocate to a new place, this is our storyline. And he sticks with it over and over again. Now, the good news for you ladies is if you're married to a guy who reasons like that, God intervenes in those moments. <laughs> right? So she's about to be taken as another wife for another king. And God shows up and pierces the heart of that king with what he's about to do. And of course, he's PO'd now at good old Abraham who didn't tell me this. But God steps in and rescues. And not long after that, there's going to be a family conflict that takes place. Lot, who's come with him, there's some conflict going on between his interests and Abraham's interests. So now family's going to part ways. This is not working out to be, wow, what a, what a great, this was a great move, Abraham. I'm, I'm so excited that we're here. Oh, and that big promise about us having children. Where the heck is that? There aren't any children coming. And so then she has the idea, well, we'll, how about we'll raise up children through another woman in the household here. And you can get Hagar, my servant, pregnant, and we'll have children through here. How many of you guys know that blew up in her face? Right? That, this was not a pretty scene. Right? So you, know, you end up with this storyline for Sarah that's, it's got all these zigzag moments that just don't look like God could possibly in, be in this thing. Stuff keeps blowing up in their face. And our default setting, our default setting, trained by America, is that, well, if it's not going well and rewarding and enjoyable and pleasant, it's got to be wrong. We're in the wrong place. We need to fix this as fast as possible. No, this was God. 
And this was a script God had for them. And they were walking in that purpose. And let me touch on one last thing from Sarah's story. Because this is unavoidable of how the New Testament speaks about this woman, Sarah. Right, so... Point number three, Sarah's significant, on that little blue dot, her significant contribution can feel insignificant today. All right, so I'm standing in the New Testament, being inspired by the Holy Spirit to speak about a woman from a couple of thousand years earlier named Sarah. What do, what do I want to say about her? Well, here's the headlines. Hebrews chapter 11. Verse 8 starts off talking about Abraham. By faith, Abraham obeyed. We look at that verse. Then it scoots down to verse 11. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive. Even when she was past the age. Since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants. As many as the stars of heaven. and As many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Abraham, little list of his resume, obeyed God, did this, did this, did this, did this. Sarah herself received power to have children. That's the headline for this woman named Sarah. And then Peter, different writer in the New Testament, in chapter 3 of his epistle, he's going to grab Sarah's news story from the past as well. And this is how he gets to it. Likewise... Wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart, with the imperishable beauty of a gentle, quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. You are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. So into this point, right, the New Testament epistles making a point. It's making a point. It's making a bigger point about submitting yourself to the purpose of God in this section of 1 Peter. And a particular examples of that are a wife submitting herself to God's purpose in a marriage. Oh, oh, that reminds me like Sarah did, right? So this is how the Bible uses these narrative stories to illustrate things that we can benefit from and are taught. But these are the two featured headlines for Sarah in the New Testament. That she was a mom and she was a wife. Now, kind of chasing this point is a a little bit of a challenge. Is that to say that Sarah wasn't smart, educated, industrious, entrepreneurial, mover and shaker in her own right. I don't know. The Bible doesn't say anything about any of that. We could probably guess that there were many things about her that were pretty awesome. She lived a a challenging life and she had to make some hard decisions and walk in some difficult settings. But the reality is, uh, 
Today, I, I don't think Sarah would make today's A-list for women. Because she was a wife and she bore children. That, that doesn't seem to get a, a great deal of applause these days. As a matter of fact, it can be very unnoticed. Amongst other things that have become much more significant on the little blue dot for women today. And I'm not trying to take fault with those things because I think many of them aren't worthy to take fault of. But there is a noticeable silence today about these two things. It's just taken for granted. It's no big deal. A woman went on to be a wife and a mother. So what? Tell me about somebody who really matters. And not only that, but we live in a culture, you know, we live in, I've called it the hashtag culture. We live in a hashtag culture where there is a, there is a pent up anger in our culture. It's, it's a little bit of a reckless anger. And it's taken aim at some things that needed to be addressed, but it's, it's creating quite a bit of collateral damage if you'll pay attention. Right, so there's this, you know, here, like I said, I'm, I'm naming a message, Sarah, Abraham's wife. Oh, really? That's all she was, Keith? That's all she was to you? Wasn't she significant in her own right as a woman? And that's what the culture feels like it wants me to say today. And so it takes out its hashtag stick and it just wants to swing it at anybody and everybody who's not sounding like you're, you're toting the party line when it comes to describing the reform that's needing to take place between our understanding of men and women. There, that, that, needs to be, that needs to be stopped. Bam, bam, bam. Just one thing after another. But, but here's the problem. It's a long stick. So that when I bam that, I that and I ban that and I crash that over there because in my fury I'm not recognizing I'm actually destroying some good things along with the things that needed to be corrected all right so how many guys read this story you come to first Peter chapter 3 the inspired word of God calling upon a woman to obey and submit to her husband Oh my gosh, somebody go get me my stick. That is so archaic, right? Bam, bam. Um, this is God's word. Right, do I come to this story thinking, thanks, thanks a stinking lot, Sarah. Thanks for setting the cause of woman back hundreds of years. This is what you're remembered for? Do something that matters for goodness sake, woman. I am woman, hear me roar, something. <laughs> now listen, at, at some point, there has been a shift in our culture. And if you're a Christian in a shifting culture, and our, our culture is moving quick, keep up. You're going to have to decide. Is this a cultural anomaly? Is this a problem? Is this, is this an advertisement for the ignorance of Abraham and Sarah in a primitive culture who didn't really know how to do this stuff right? Or is this a revelation from God about the differences that he made between men and women? And that there would be given roles to play, roles that God would find delightful and to be done in a way that's glorifying to God. And God would take great delight in a woman bearing children, in a woman being a wife and walking with a man 
who in many ways his life is going to create the landscape for her life. Now let me just say this carefully. I can't cover everything in one message. Because I, I want to pause and I want to I minister a little bit to the wives and mothers in that category today. But I recognize not everybody's a wife. And not everybody's a mother. And it doesn't mean that that, that life lacks dignity or God-glorifying elements that include industrious work and entrepreneurial elements and all kinds of things that one should be giving their talents and their times to for the glory of God. The point I'm making here is not to stomp on those things, but to promote these other things that seemed even in the church to no longer be applause-worthy. And you, you ladies live in this. You live in this, let me stare over the fence and see what everybody else is doing who's really living life because I'm just wiping noses and changing diapers. And then, does anybody even know I'm here? Try to surface on Facebook, but when I do, my kids strangle each other in the corner over there. I can't even have a moment of peace to stick something in to get a thumbs up, you know? <laughs> I mean, who the heck is going to ever notice me? I'm doing nothing here. I'm nothing. I'm invisible. Right, this is how life can feel today. But not in the scriptures. The scriptures look at your life. And they see that you have joined your life to others. So that God's purpose and glory might be furthered in them. And years later from now, they, they might be going, Abraham, Abraham. What was, her, what was his wife's name again? And you might be that woman. What? Are you going to be okay with that? That God's assignment, for whatever reason, was more noticeable about that guy's name than perhaps about your own. But just because the world didn't stand up and go, oh, over you, doesn't mean you didn't fulfill God's purpose. Because without Sarah following Abraham and walking by faith to trust this God, there is no nation of Israel. Oh, but that's not going to get noticed for years. She'll be dead by the time that's big news. And you know what? Something you have lived for and the way in which you have lived your life, you may be dead as well before that becomes big news in God's kingdom. You know, what your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren will be and will do, how you lived your life to fulfill God's purpose in such a way that it enlarged and affected God's kingdom in ways that you never could have foreseen. Just be careful that you're just not waiting for the world to validate the mission that you're on. The world today with its big long stick, would, would, it would advise you to tell Abraham to put it where the sun don't shine sometimes. Obey Abraham? That guy, are you kidding me? He don't know where the heck he's going. What are you doing following him? He's a knucklehead. You're a better decision maker than he is. I don't know what the world today would have sounded like advising Sarah following this guy. But she was bound to him. And her life was bound to him. And, and all of our lives are bound to people. And, and we have to make room for that. None of us get to have our own story that's not going to be interrupted. Not going to be messed with. The wheels aren't going to come off. It's not going to be delayed. It's not going to go in a direction that we never wanted to be over here. Oh, but you happen to have that child. 
who had those needs or that future in God. And so, yes, your life went in that direction rather than going in that direction. Because by God's sovereign plan, you are yoked to that person. You are bound and bounded by what God is doing outside of just you. And that's a good thing. Listen, the most unhealthy place you're ever going to get to is when you try and make yourself the center of the universe. You will fight and fight and fight. If, listen, if you could change the gravitational field of the universe to where you were the center of it, uh, you wouldn't know what to do with it if you did, right? But you're never going to be able to do that. But your life would become so miserably out of place that you'd have no means of living in it, fulfilling God's purpose. So I want to pray for a couple of folks. Uh, Kurt, wherever Kurt is, if he could come on back up this morning. I do want to minister in a moment to wives and moms this morning. But let's do this. Maybe you're not a wife or a mom, but you are a person in God's story like Sarah was a person in God's great story. So let's stand up together. See if God can find us as individuals here this morning and what's taking place in our own lives and impart to us something about himself that we need from this story Father, I just, I just ask you to help us have open, receptive hearts that are willing to take steps of faith to trust you, maybe in a greater way than, than we were willing to trust you when we came in this building this morning. God, we've seen something of you through the worship this morning, through the ministry of your spirit and the word God, we are in a different place to look and trust you. Maybe this morning finds you in a season or a place where you're needing faith to be yoked to others. There are other people in your life that bring difficulty, discouragement, to bring a pace of life that's hard for you, that brings struggles for you that have visited your life with their problems and their selfishness. You have been hurt by people that God has joined you to. And so this morning, you're finding yourself needing faith for your life to be connected to other lives. Listen, the answer is not to disconnect. The answer is to find faith from God. So how do I walk right now? And how do I walk with this person in this setting with these issues? And one size doesn't fit all. Don't go applying one principle to everybody's situation here. But God, God's going to call you to walk by faith. No matter what your next step is, it is going to be a step of faith. And that's what we have modeled for us so wonderfully 
through Sarah. So maybe for some of you, it's a marriage situation. Those difficulties and hard times are associated with your spouse. Maybe for some of you, it's your children. Walking with them, caring for them, traveling through the seasons and settings of their lives. Maybe it's a business partner. You're in business with someone. Remember, you're not there by accident. The sovereign God allots times and locations and seasons into your world. Maybe you're walking, I thought about the church leadership here. God has joined us together with the challenges that that presents. So let me pray for you guys first. Father, would you be a means of grace? Lord, thank you that this gift of life that we have received from you has been by grace. It was your visitation into our world like you did with Abraham to reveal yourself. Not because we deserved it or he deserved it, but because you are gracious. And what he did is the same thing we are needing to do. What Sarah did is the same thing we are needing to do, Lord, to receive by faith who you are and what you do on our behalf. So, Lord, this morning as we ponder the difficulties of the assigned relationships in our lives. Lord, we look to you in faith. As we venture out of safe places like our home and our homeland into unknown factors, Lord, we look to you in faith. As what awaits us might be famines or it might be hostility and fearful settings and moments, we look to you in faith not called us to avoid those places. You've called us to trust you in the midst of those places. God, give grace for that this morning. Individuals who will trust you in the midst of these challenging places. Lord, I want to pray for wives and mothers. who need an awareness in the busyness, in the noise, in the messiness, in the boredom, in the sameness. Or they need to hear an awareness that they are leaving a mark. And they are living a significant life. An assigned life. A life you chose for them to bring glory to your name, to touch the lives you chose for it to touch. Maybe it's not the stage somebody else has, but it's a precious, God glorifying stage that they will live their lives on and they will be observed by husbands and they will be observed by children. They will be affected. And they will touch the script of those around them in amazing ways. Lord, would you let their soul hear that they have not 
wasted the years that they have invested in others to their own neglect. Lord, Sarah is an interesting example. Certainly there was a lot of personal hopes and dreams and personal investment that was foregone. Because you had a purpose in her marriage to Abraham and her waiting and waiting for children. Lord, would you turn the attention of the moms that are here this morning, the moms who have lived their lives investing in their husbands, have lived their lives investing in their children. And would you give them fresh awareness of your pleasure and awareness of the hope that God is using them and has been using them to invest in a future that brings glory to God through these individuals that they are attached to. Lord, fresh faith for them, inspired by Sarah and the work you did in her life, for her to walk where she walked, for your glory that we're still talking about, that the New Testament writers were still talking about. Lord, that's significant on this little blue dot in this vast universe for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys.